Chapter 19 of The Return of Tarzan. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Return of Tarzan by Edgar Rice Burroughs. Chapter 19 The City of Gold. The very night that Tarzan of the Apes became chief of the Waziri, the woman he loved lay dying in a tiny boat two hundred miles west of him upon the Atlantic. As he danced among his naked fellow-savages, the firelight gleaming against his great rolling muscles, the personification of physical perfection and strength, the woman who loved him lay thin and emaciated in the last coma that precedes death by thirst and starvation. The week following the induction of Tarzan into the kingship of the Waziri was occupied in escorting the Manuma of the Arab raiders to the northern boundary of Waziri in accordance with the promise which Tarzan had made them. Before he left them he exacted a pledge from them that they would not lead any expeditions against the Waziri in the future, nor was it a difficult promise to obtain. They had had sufficient experience with the fighting tactics of the new Waziri chief not to have the slightest desire to accompany another predatory force within the boundaries of his domain. Almost immediately upon his return to the village, Tarzan commenced making preparations for leading an expedition in search of the ruined city of gold which old Waziri had described to him. He selected fifty of the sturdiest warriors of his tribe, choosing only men who seemed anxious to accompany him on the arduous march and share the dangers of a new and hostile country. The fabulous wealth of the fabled city had been almost constantly in his mind since Waziri had recounted the strange adventures of the former expedition which had stumbled upon the vast ruins by chance. The lure of adventure may have been quite as powerful a factor in urging Tarzan of the Apes to undertake the journey as the lure of gold, but the lure of gold was there too, for he had learned among civilized men something of the miracles that may be wrought by the possessor of the magic yellow metal. What he would do with a golden fortune in the heart of savage Africa it had not occurred to him to consider. It would be enough to possess the power to work wonders, even though he never had an opportunity to employ it. So one glorious tropical morning, Waziri, chief of the Waziri, set out at the head of fifty clean-limbed ebon warriors in quest of adventure and of riches. They followed the course which old Waziri had described to Tarzan. For days they marched up one river, across a low divide, down another river, up a third, until at the end of the twenty-fifth day they camped upon a mountainside from the summit of which they hoped to catch their first view of the marvelous city of treasure. Early the next morning they were climbing the almost perpendicular crags which formed the last but greatest natural barrier between them and their destination. It was nearly noon before Tarzan, who headed the thin line of climbing warriors, scrambled over the top of the last cliff and stood upon the little flat tableland of the mountain top. On either hand towered mighty peaks thousands of feet higher than the pass through which they were entering the forbidden valley. Behind him stretched the wooded valley across which they had marched for many days, and at the opposite side the low range which marked the boundary of their own country but before him was the view that centered his attention. Here lay a desolate valley, a shallow, narrow valley dotted with stunted trees and covered with many great boulders, and on the far side of the valley lay what appeared to be a mighty city, 
its great walls, its lofty spires, its turrets, minarets, and domes showing red and yellow in the sunlight. Tarzan was yet too far away to note the marks of ruin. To him it appeared a wonderful city of magnificent beauty, and in imagination he peopled its broad avenues and its huge temples with a throng of happy, active people. For an hour the little expedition rested upon the mountain top, and then Tarzan led them down into the valley below. There was no trail, but the way was less arduous than the ascent of the opposite side of the mountain had been. Once in the valley their progress was rapid, so that it was still light when they halted before the towering walls of the ancient city. The outer wall was fifty feet in height, where it had not fallen into ruin, but nowhere, as far as they could see, had more than ten or twenty feet of the upper courses fallen away. It was still a formidable defense. On several occasions Tarzan had thought that he discerned things moving behind the ruined portions of the wall, near to them, as though creatures were watching them from behind the bulwarks of the ancient pile, and often he felt the sensation of unseen eyes upon him, but not once could he be sure that it was more than imagination. That night they camped outside the city. Once at midnight they were awakened by a shrill scream from beyond the great wall. It was very high at first, descending gradually until it ended in a series of dismal moans. It had a strange effect upon the blacks, almost paralyzing them with terror while it lasted, and it was an hour before the camp settled down to sleep once more. In the morning the effects of it were still visible in the fearful, sidelong glances that the Waziri continually cast at the massive and forbidding structure which loomed above them. It required considerable encouragement and urging on Tarzan's part to prevent the blacks from abandoning the venture on the spot and hastening back across the valley toward the cliffs they had scaled the day before. But at length, by dint of commands and threats that he would enter the city alone, they agreed to accompany him. For fifteen minutes they marched along the face of the wall before they discovered a means of ingress. Then they came to a narrow cleft about twenty inches wide. Within, a flight of concrete steps, worn hollow by centuries of use, rose before them to disappear at a sharp turning of the passage a few yards ahead. Into this narrow alley Tarzan made his way, turning his giant shoulders sideways, that they might enter at all. Behind him trailed his black warriors. At the turn in the cleft the stairs ended, and the path was level, but it wound and twisted in a serpentine fashion, until suddenly at a sharp angle it debouched upon a narrow court, across which loomed an inner wall equally as high as the other. This inner wall was set with little round towers alternating along its entire summit with pointed monoliths. In places these had fallen, and the wall was ruined, but it was in a much better state of preservation than the outer wall. Another narrow passage led through this wall, and at its end Tarzan and his warriors found themselves in a broad avenue, on the opposite side of which crumbling edifices of hewn granite loomed dark and forbidding. Upon the crumbling debris along the face of the buildings trees had grown, and vines wound in and out of the hollow, staring windows, but the building directly opposite them seemed less overgrown than the others, and in a much better state of preservation. It was a massive pile, surmounted by an enormous dome. 
At either side of its great entrance stood rows of tall pillars, each capped by a huge grotesque bird carved from the solid rock of the monoliths. As the ape-man and his companions stood gazing in varying degrees of wonderment at this ancient city in the midst of savage Africa, several of them became aware of movement within the structure at which they were looking. Dim, shadowy shapes appeared to be moving about in the semi-darkness of the interior. There was nothing tangible that the eye could grasp, only an uncanny suggestion of life where it seemed that there should be no life, for living things seemed out of place in this weird dead city of the long-dead past. Tarzan recalled something that he had read in the library at Paris of a lost race of white men that native legend described as living in the heart of Africa. He wondered if he were not looking upon the ruins of the civilization that this strange people had wrought amid the savage surroundings of their strange and savage home. Could it be possible that even now a remnant of that lost race inhabited the ruined grandeur that had once been their progenitor? Again he became conscious of a stealthy movement within the great temple before him. Come, he said to his waziri, let us have a look at what lies behind those ruined walls. His men were loath to follow him, but when they saw that he was bravely entering the frowning portal, they trailed a few paces behind in a huddled group that seemed the personification of nervous terror. A single shriek such as they had heard the night before would have been sufficient to have sent them all racing madly for the narrow cleft that led through the great walls to the outer world. As Tarzan entered the building he was distinctly aware of many eyes upon him, there was a rustling in the shadows of a nearby corridor, and he could have sworn that he saw a human hand withdrawn from an embrasure that opened above him into the dome-like rotunda in which he found himself. The floor of the chamber was of concrete, the walls of smooth granite, upon which strange figures of men and beasts were carved. In places tablets of yellow metal had been set in the solid masonry of the walls, when he approached closer to one of these tablets, he saw that it was of gold and bore many hieroglyphics. Beyond this first chamber there were others, and back of them the building branched out into enormous wings. Tarzan passed through several of these chambers, finding many evidences of the fabulous wealth of the original builders. In one room were seven pillars of solid gold, and in another the floor itself was of the precious metal and all the while that he explored his blacks huddled close together at his back, and strange shapes hovered upon either hand, and before them, and behind, yet never close enough that they might say that they were not alone. The strain, however, was telling upon the nerves of the Waziri. They begged Tarzan to return to the sunlight. They said that no good could come of such an expedition for the ruins were haunted by the spirits of the dead who had once inhabited them. "'They are watching us, O king,' whispered Busuli. "'They are waiting until they have led us into the innermost recesses of their stronghold, and then they will fall upon us and tear us to pieces with their teeth. That is the way with spirits. My mother's uncle, who is a great witch-doctor, has told me all about it many times.' Tarzan laughed. "'Run back into the sunlight, my children,' he said. "'I will join you when I have searched this old ruin from top to bottom, and found the gold, or found that there is none. 
At least we may take the tablets from the walls, though the pillars are too heavy for us to handle. But there should be great storerooms filled with gold, gold that we can carry away upon our backs with ease. Run on now, out into the fresh air where you may breathe easier. Some of the warriors started to obey their chief with alacrity, but Busili and several others hesitated to leave him, hesitated between love and loyalty for their king, and superstitious fear of the unknown. And then, quite unexpectedly, that occurred which decided the question without the necessity for further discussion. Out of the silence of the ruined temple there rang, close to their ears, the same hideous shriek they had heard the previous night, and with horrified cries the black warriors turned and fled through the empty halls of the age-old edifice. Behind them stood Tarzan of the Apes, where they had left him, a grim smile upon his lips, waiting for the enemy he fully expected was about to pounce upon him. But again silence reigned, except for the faint suggestion of the sound of naked feet moving stealthily in nearby places. Then Tarzan wheeled and passed on into the depths of the temple. From room to room he went, until he came to one at which a rude barred door still stood, and as he put his shoulder against it to push it in, again the shriek of warning rang out almost beside him. It was evident that he was being warned to refrain from desecrating this particular room, for could it be that within lay the secret of the treasure stores? At any rate, the very fact that the strange invisible guardians of this weird place had some reason for wishing him not to enter this particular chamber was sufficient to treble Tarzan's desire to do so, and though the shrieking was repeated continuously, he kept his shoulder to the door until it gave before his giant strength to swing open upon creaking wooden hinges. Within all was black as the tomb. There was no window to let in the faintest ray of light, and as the corridor upon which it opened was itself in semi-darkness, even the open door shed no relieving rays within. Feeling before him upon the floor with the butt of his spear, Tarzan entered the Stygian gloom. Suddenly the door behind him closed, and at the same time hands clutched him from every direction out of the darkness. The ape-man fought with all the savage fury of self-preservation backed by the Herculean strength that was his, but though he felt his blows land and his teeth sink into soft flesh, there seemed always two new hands to take the place of those that he fought off. At last they dragged him down, and slowly, very slowly, they overcame him by the mere weight of their numbers, and then they bound him, his hands behind his back, and his feet trussed up to meet them. He had heard no sound except the heavy breathing of his antagonists and the noise of the battle. He knew not what manner of creatures had captured him, but that they were human seemed evident from the fact that they had bound him. Presently they lifted him from the floor, and half dragging, half pushing him, they brought him out of the black chamber through another doorway into an inner courtyard of the temple. Here he saw his captors. There must have been a hundred of them, short, stocky men, with great beards that covered their faces and fell upon their hairy breasts. The thick, matted hair upon their heads grew low over their receding brows and hung about their shoulders and their backs. Their crooked legs were short and heavy, their arms long and muscular. About their loins they wore the skins of leopards and lions, and great necklaces of the claws of these same animals depended upon their breasts. 
Massive circlets of virgin gold adorned their arms and legs. For weapons they carried heavy knotted bludgeons, and in the belts that confined their single garments each had a long, wicked-looking knife. But the feature of them that made the most startling impression upon their prisoner was their white skins. Neither in color nor feature was there a trace of the negroid about them, yet with their receding foreheads, wicked little close-set eyes, and yellow fangs, they were far from prepossessing in appearance. During the fight within the dark chamber, and while they had been dragging Tarzan to the inner court, no word had been spoken. But now several of them exchanged grunting, monosyllabic conversation in a language unfamiliar to the ape-man, and presently they left him lying upon the concrete floor while they trooped off on their short legs into another part of the temple beyond the court. As Tarzan lay there upon his back, he saw that the temple entirely surrounded the little enclosure, and that on all sides its lofty walls rose high above him. At the top a little patch of blue sky was visible, and in one direction through an embrasure he could see foliage, but whether it was beyond or within the temple he did not know. About the court, from the ground to the top of the temple, were series of open galleries, and now and then the captive caught glimpses of bright eyes gleaming from beneath masses of tumbling hair, peering down upon him from above. The ape-man gently tested the strength of the bonds that held him, and while he could not be sure, it seemed that they were of insufficient strength to withstand the strain of his mighty muscles when the time came to make a break for freedom, but he did not dare to put them to the crucial test until darkness had fallen, or he felt that no spying eyes were upon him. He had lain within the court for several hours before the first rays of sunlight penetrated the vertical shaft. Almost simultaneously he heard the pattering of bare feet in the corridors about him, and a moment later saw the galleries above fill with crafty faces as a score or more entered the courtyard. For a moment every eye was bent upon the noonday sun, and then in unison the people in the galleries and those in the court below took up the refrain of a low, weird chant. Presently those about Tarzan began to dance to the cadence of their solemn song. They circled him slowly, resembling in their manner of dancing a number of clumsy, shuffling bears, but as yet they did not look at him, keeping their little eyes fixed upon the sun. For ten minutes or more they kept up their monotonous chant and steps, and then suddenly, and in perfect unison, they turned toward their victim with upraised bludgeons and emitting fearful howls. The while they contorted their features into the most diabolical expressions, they rushed upon him. At the same instant a female figure dashed into the midst of the bloodthirsty horde, and with a bludgeon similar to their own, except that it was wrought from gold, beat back the advancing men. End of chapter 19